you today. I think it scared you off last week with what season we're in. It's a scary season. Uh, we spoke about that in the scriptures, the idea of season is a very prominent point. It's spoken of all the way through the scriptures. And, and uh, there are different times and different things for planting and harvesting. But God even had people honor the different seasons with different festivals and things that he'd offer to the Lord for. Because he wanted the people to understand there's a different time and a different season for many different things. We're entering into a very interesting season. Uh, one that's been spoken of all the way through the scriptures. A very powerful time. A time that uh, all the apostles and all the followers and disciples of Christ through down history have looked forward to. And wish they could be here with us and do it at this time. But just like then, very often people miss the time and the seasons. When, when Moses pulled the people out of Egypt, Pharaoh missed the season. He didn't understand what was then. When the cross took place, the Pharisees and the leaders of the land did not understand what season was in. And they missed because they didn't know the Father. And it takes knowing the Father to understand the spiritual seasons. It's not like the seasons of the air. It's the seasons and it takes a spiritual perception to understand. And that spiritual perception is important for us to know and understand because if we don't, we can miss what God's about ready to do. He's about ready to do some mighty things, some powerful things, some awesome things. And just as all seasons, just as Egypt and the cross and the season that come, they all seem to proceed with some type of testing or judgment. The testing or judgment is to divide out the difference between the people whose hearts are for him and the people whose hearts have fallen towards themselves or the world. When we look at the first thing went with Egypt and with the cross, it was a hard thing. But out of it came a great harvest. There was a separating and a dividing off. There was a deliverance for uh, God's people. A physical deliverance in the time of Egypt, a spiritual deliverance in the time of the cross. And, uh, and, and one from physical pains of death, as far as the cross is concerned. And this one will have a, have a different deliverance as well. It'll be spiritual, it'll be physical, it'll be that we get to be with him. It'll be a new time, a new season, a new covenant. What exactly will be, I don't know yet. But we know it's the season. The scripture says that you won't know the exact time, but you know the season. We look at when good is called evil. We see that now in our society so strongly, we know it's the season. Because that's the prerequisite for the season. We see a lot of different things that happen in the Middle East. We know it's a prerequisite for the season. So we have to be aware of it and pay attention. Because if we don't have our ear to the Lord, we miss what we got ready to do. Now, I have some new, another pair of new glasses. They replace the other ones. And we'll see if these will work. They're good for far sight, good for reading, the, the in-between sight. I don't know how that's going to work. Okay. I want to mention one other thing about the cross in Egypt and what's to come. And that is that God delivered them out of Egypt. And God, at the cross, delivered us from our sins. But in each one of those cases, it required people to stand up and fight. The first one was in Egypt. That came out from a promised land that God promised uh, that we have. 
it's, it's, it's a type of heaven. It's a type of deliverance that came at the cross. But as though, and the scriptures are very clear, they gave it to him. He didn't just walk into the land. They had to fight and take the land. We learned something that's been miscommunicated. My miscommunication says that if God gives you something, he's just going to give it to you. You just get the and lays it on your lap. Not so. God does things differently than we think. When he gives us something, he requires something out of us. He requires us to fight for it. He requires us, and in, in, in with, with the Israelites, what they had to do is they had to take the land. And he says he wasn't going to remove all the people before him because the land would be desolate and worthless. But what he says is that you're going to fight. And so, area by area, step by step, they took more and more of the promised land. It cost blood, sweat, and tears. It was not an easy process. But there was something with the process that God wanted to do. He could have given it to him. It was the development of a character and the development of a heart and the development of faith that he wants. And that's the same that happens with the cross. We were saved. It says he's finished. But it also says, you know, he put all the things in us. But we don't see that right now. Oh, it's his Christ. Yeah, he's looking up. For us to take what he's given us, is a process that we have to go through. We're facing it now. We're facing a, a thing of two choices. Just as the same two choices they have. These two choices are the things that bring uh, the, the judgment and brought about. And that process is to bring division. Jesus said that. I'm going to make others against sisters. You see, division is coming. Division is dividing out something. Some people will say, I want to just survive what's coming on. We look at the economy and all the things going on. Hey, I just want to make it through it. I just want to survive it. Other people say, I'm going to take some land here. Good for you. I believe a lot of us in the past got made with survival. I believe it's a different time now. See, survival is a place of fear. When you're in the survival mode, you're just trying to make it through. You just want to make it to the next day. The dominant factor, the dominant currency in your life is fear. You're living on it. You're running through it. All of this is to get by. Just keep the little bit I got. Kingdom of God doesn't work that way, does it? If you keep what you have, you try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you keep what you have, it'll never grow. It's just like when they were giving, the idea of giving away brings a financial blessing. It's in every aspect. It's not just money. It's of your life. You give your life to other people, and you'll have more yourself. You give time to other people, you have more time yourself. How does that work? It's just like with the money part. You got it. Marsha and they have an immunity. All of a sudden, it's going to take a lot of their time. How can they do that? How can they do all the other things as well? Watch. As they learn to give, even that, you'll have more time with a child. Just as like, I, if I'm giving my time to other people, he will multiply that time for me. That's the concept I hope to hit on here as we go on how that happens and what makes it work and why sometimes it doesn't seem to work. 
conquerors are the people that want to keep competing and operate in another currency. They operate in faith. Their faith is a multiplying process. Necessary. The survival people typically believe in, uh, in circumstances greater than the power of their God. They operate in a place of helplessness. They've been victim and founded. They believe a lie. They feel powerless and they don't know who they are. Do you know who you are? Do you? You're sons of the living God. If you don't get that, you're going to get clobbered. You're sons of the living God. Guys and girls are still sons. Sons of the living God. This movement's not going to make me turn the other way. Sons of the living God, each and every person in here. You have that inheritance. That's part of the inheritance you got on the cross. Sons of the living God. Some are natural sons. Some of them have been adopted in. Still sons. Our culture said if you're adopted or firstborn, a little bit different that way. Adopted or natural, you the same value. And our culture that wants that way. In fact, there's a higher thing to be adopted. You've been adopted. We believe we have to become overcomers. Overcomers believe who their God is. They believe that God is more powerful than the things and circumstances against them. They believe that God called them. Now, I want to make a real difference. It's not that you think you want something, you go do it, and you claim God's with you. No. It's you hear God and do what he says. Another is called presumption. Presumption is you think you want something and you think because you're entitled to it because of, uh, uh, because you're a, his, a Christian. That's the spirit of this world. The spirit of the world says you're entitled to certain things. We're sons. Before we became sons, we were slaves. They sold ourselves up to us and we have no rights anymore. We don't chose the rights. And so, we become who God calls us to be. Now, how do we get there? We are called to walk in faith. We're called the sons of overcomers as a mighty army. How many of you guys feel like a mighty army? How are you getting there? You've got to feel like a mighty army. You know, the world teaches a very simple thing. The world teaches in business, and it's a business principle that's taken from the scripture. And that principle is this. You believe it, and you become it. That's a spiritual principle. It's called faith. For some reason, that allows his truth to be used outside of him. I don't understand why he does, but he does. But the truth is true. We have to begin to see this design. And how do we make that process? How do we, how do we get there? Uh, some of us think we can hide. If you don't, if you don't bother the enemy, he won't bother us. You got one? You just can leave him alone. You better not do that because the enemy will get you. Again, to make it very clear, I'm talking about when God tells you to do something, not you presume to do something against the enemy on your own. But when you're called to do it, I'm talking about. But you believe that. And some of you have gotten away with it, but I'm going to tell you, you're not going to get away with it anymore. I want to turn to Revelation 3, 16 through 19. 
Have you ever noticed the spider in Hans work? You know, a spider in the prophetic world is, is, is the symbolic of deception in the enemy, and actually in witchcraft as well, which is, of course, from the enemy. But what happens with, with a spider is he has a web and you get caught in it. And when you get caught in it, he comes on, swings on over, bites you, stings you, and puts you in a suspended animation. Some of you have been bit, and you're in that suspended animation. You know what? You don't know it. Because you're paralyzed with fear and unwilling to do the things that God's called you to do. But God has a different plan for you. This world is like a web. It is. There's lots of things that will catch you. Lots of things that will catch you up and catch you where you can't get away from. And when the enemy comes up and stings you with that fear, saying, you're paralyzed. Because that's not what God wants. And if you stay in that place, you're going to be the key alive. You believe, some people believe the lie that, oh, if I just stay here and hide, the enemy is going to get you. You've been bitten. You can stand up to spend the animation as long as you want, but sooner or later it's going to have you. No, there's one or two things coming. Uh, you have a revelation? Somebody do that for me. Because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I'm adequate, well, you do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counseled you by from the gold, refined in the fire, so that you can become rich. Right? You cover your shameful nakedness and smell like a those who I love are with you and drown the flame. This gold refines the fire. Purify, testing. What it is when it's refined by fire is it turn up the heat extremely hot and drops impurities into the Pull it off. It's pure gold. The harder the fire, the pure the gold, the more valuable the gold is worth. God's not going to put up with us being lukewarm anymore. He says, buy gold refined in the fire. In other words, you're going to have to find and allow God to refine you. Many of us, there's a spirit over this land that's a real powerful spirit. It's called the spirit of abortion. Many of us have been in that abortion spirit. I don't mean that. Maybe you've unfortunately had an abortion. I'm sorry. Ask God to forgive you. It's forgiven. End of it. Forgive God. But there's a spirit of abortion over us that causes us to get out of the process that God is doing. See, an abortion is, is when somebody's having a baby and they're growing inside, instead of having a baby born and taking care of it and have something new in their life, they abort the process. They stop it. But so many of us have aborted the process that God's doing in life. We will not allow themselves to be defined by the fire. And you think you're rich because that's the deception that's over them. They keep it okay. I imagine, though I have not been bit by a spider, and one of those things you pretty good. It's a suspended animation. You used to get stoned about pretty good time. It's suspended animation. Suspended animation. This is not going to be eaten. They don't realize it. So here you have this process. You have people in that particular predicament. They have people that 
not hot or cold. Yes, it's I'm about ready to, because this is about ready to time, guys. This is a season you're in. You either keep warm or hot, or you just keep out. Go find the stuff. You don't realize how naked you are. Go find the stuff, the refining. Allow God to refine you and change your life so you can become what God called you to be. I don't like it either. Nobody likes the weapon. But he says that. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Have you guys had a few disciplines in your life lately? We all have. Because he's, he's working in us. He's changing us. He's making us in the person we're supposed to be. That's the good news. They don't tell people when they get saved. <laughs> but it is the good news. It's the good news that God loves us or not, and that not be satisfied with us being an idiot. You know? Not satisfied with us being wimps. You know? People think the Christians are wimps to act like wimps. We're not supposed to be wimps. We're supposed to be men and women of God that have nothing that will stop them. That no enemy formed against us will prevail. What do you think that means? We all think about that. We talk about it. That means you can have an enemy and you're going to have to fight him to prevail. That's what it means. It's scripture. That's what it's talking about. We have an enemy. That enemy is for a purpose because you know what? If God didn't want the enemy around, if he didn't solve some purpose for him, he would fire him and take him out of here. And one day he will. But right now, he performs the purpose valuable to the banker. Refine you. You see, God has a thing called his will. And says nothing is done without his will. And if it's happening in you, a lot of people want to blame the enemy. I want to take a second here to talk about that. People want to blame the enemy and blame the enemy for everything that happens to them. It's usually God on the other side somewhere. Sometimes the enemy just oversteps it. I don't really know. But the scriptures are clear that God has no independent control. The worst thing that had happened was the cross was the greatest thing. It was in his plan. It was completely in his plan. So, don't you think there's something that's going wrong in your life? Maybe in his plan? And maybe it's for a greater purpose, just like that, just like that, uh, city shared. You know, Give up all you have for him? The thing that he asked her for her job back? Because he seemed valuable to her? You have to give it up. You might have to do. Give it back. Much more, it says. Unless he was lying. I don't think so. So we have to move from, uh, from fear to faith. From passivity to domination. We're supposed to have dominion on this earth. We're the command this one that came out of the earth. Go over there and take dominion of the earth. We're supposed to have dominion. We're supposed to own what's under our feet. We're not supposed to be in last place. We're supposed to be, we're the sons of the master and the owner of everything, and we're supposed to be in first place, not last place. We're supposed to be winners, not losers. You know? That's who you're called to be. That's who you will be. He's not going to do that. So we want to take a little example, a little lesson. I don't know if I'll finish this. Uh, by Gideon. I love Gideon. How many of you can identify with Gideon? Okay, I do. I definitely do. Let's go to Judges 6, 11 through 14. Somebody can read well. Read that out loud. Judges 6, 11 through 14. Gideon replied, 
But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My plan is the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh. I'm the least important member of my family. The Lord answered, You can do it because I will help you. You will crush the Midianites as easily as if they were only one man. Gideon replied, If you are pleased with me, give me some fruit that you're really the Lord. Please do not leave until I bring you an offering of food. Okay. You can translate that for me in today's English. I'm scared, Uncle Jim. I come from the smallest church in town. I'm the worst husband. That's a good translation, I think you said. That's the Hebrew, I remember, I still always remember John Lumber saying, he says, when the guy figured out he was going to use them, he says, it's really come from me. You're really not out of people. You really don't have anybody better. And then we look at size, and as a church, we look at, we're a jinky church. Smaller today than normal. Jinky. You know, we're the smallest church in town, probably. Well, they're all small. They're only a couple hundred bigger. But how could he use us? But I'll tell you, he is. We actually are shaking stuff you would not believe all over this city right now. Just... I'll take some time. I'll share about it. This is part of our call here. Gideon is part of our call. We are small. We are weak. But what? You can do it because I will help you. You will crush the Midianites. This scripture goes to show on how well God wanted to make that point. That it's him, not you. And if it's him, not you, then you don't have to worry about how strong you are, how smart you are, how good you are, how good of memory you are, how good of a speaker you are, or how good of whatever it is you, he's calling you to do. Because he's going to do it. Man, is that a long walk from that first scripture to the other, though. To trust God to make something out of nothing. That's actually what he was. Let's go to the... Uh, uh, I skipped a couple of verses, and we're going to go to. Well, I'm going to say something here. How many of you guys were around here when we did Arthur Burke's teaching on uh, the uh, what do they call that? Seven blessings and seven curses. How many of you guys were here? Great series. In there, he talks about the Midianite curse, and that's what we're going to deal with here. This is where the scripture he got it from. And we'll talk about the Midianite curse is. I'm going to, uh, uh, if, if you remember, the Midianite curse was a seasonal devouring of money and relationships. It didn't happen all the time. During different seasons during the year, they would, people would lose their finances, lose the big thing that was coming in, money would go out, and relationships would get ruined. This curse affects us by sound. As weird as that may sound. And I'll show you in the, in the scripture when I was reading how that comes out. The sound. And it goes something like this. When you hear things, you hear things not the way they're said. They're just twisted in the air. And somebody said one thing, and you, well, I'll give you an example going outward, because it comes in both ways, depends on who has the curse. Or both. <laughs> Somebody says something perfectly upright, 
helpful, loving, and blessing. And that person hears a totally different thing. And no matter what you do, you can't convince them that it's anything any other than what they heard. And it was. It's called the Midianite Curse. That Midianite Curse takes what is said and changes it. It also takes what you say when you say that to people who have that curse, they'll hear it differently. Because it'll switch it in the air. It'll also take what people say to you. So what happens is you hear people and they're constantly telling you something that they really aren't saying, and you're recording it down in your mind that they're rejected, that you're not okay, that, that, that there's something that matters with you, that they don't like you, they don't love you. It's just a seasonal thing that, you know, that, well, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit when I go through the actual scripture on it, because of what they actually did, and, and, and you can see the positive and negative from it much more clearly. Let's <laughs> make I can use the money, okay. And, and, and then that may, and we'll go through that, and may not measure up either. There's lots of other reasons. Get this. Just because you give doesn't mean you're going to get great financial blessings. There's lots of other things other than stewardship of money. It makes a difference in how you give. I mean, something that you're called to have is a good steward of money and give money and, and bless people and, and, and you know, give back to you. That's not the only thing. There's all kinds of other things that will preempt you getting the blessing from God. And you, if you go through the seven curses that I have that uh, you can borrow, you will probably find one of the ones, because this is really an excellent series. Though I don't like everything Arthur Burke says, there's some things I don't. There's a lot of his stuff that's excellent. Good man. Um, all right. Midianite curse deals with stewardship. And the stewardship of the Midianite curse, it was based upon you trying to own something, rather than being a steward of it. Let me give you an example of that. If you own your money, your things, your business, your job idea, like Tibby talked about today, that's a great example for it. You own it and it's mine and that. Then you own it and what will happen is things will get in the way from you getting it. We're supposed to be stewards of the business. Remember the, 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 uh, the parable of the uh, the, uh, the uh, Field, the field, and the caretaker, and and all that, and and he weren't good stewards. He took away. We're stewards of what he's given us. We don't own it. We're stewards of it. So we remember we gave ourselves up. We were bought at a price, and we're stewards of what he gave us. So if you get the ownership and you try to hang on things, that's part of the reasons that you're having a problem with committing that curse. I don't want to spend too much time, but it's part of it. But because I'll get it. Uh, and it's cured by one thing. Walking by faith. Let's look at Isaiah 43, 27. Your first part of sin, your spokesmen rebelled against me. So I will disgrace the dignitaries of the temple, and I will post my Jacob to destruction in Israel to scorn. That's what that to me. A long time ago. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. 
But who is Jacob and who is Israel? Wasn't Jacob the father of, you know, I am God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Isn't that who he was? This is one of our patriarchs. This is one of the strongest men. But he consigned the destruction. What's the idea of that? It's the idea of what I was talking about earlier. The idea of bringing you to the end of yourself, destroying the chains in you, that he can make you do something new. The scripture, when he first came back to me about 20 years ago, he told me he was going to do that. And it was a, more than that, I guess, about 30 years ago now. It was an ugly process. I'm still not going to doing it. But it's because of love for Jacob. I love Jacob. I hate Esau. You remember that one? I love him. He loves us. He loves us as happy as we are. He loves us. And he causes us to go through refinement. Okay. We talked about seasons and we talked about, you know, there's uh, farming. In evangelism, we always, that's the one, our closest one to it. None of us here are farmers. If you were a farmer, you'd know a couple of things. One is that you're going to plow up some land, and now you can plow it up, you're going to stick some seeds in it, you're going to water it, and you're going to wait, and then there's a the harvest time. Right? Those were different seasons, those were different times, those were different things. Okay? In those cases, they did a little differently. They, they threw the seed down and plowed it down. That's how God works with us, by the way, if you haven't noticed. If you teach me to do something, we can plow it in you. Who's the plow, you think? Enemy. He plows it in. He takes the enemy and just breaks you up. <laughs> That's how they do it. They do it up and the seeds will come in there and they grow from it. Just a little side note. Free. Um, okay. So let's go, let's go take a little lesson from farming. So we talked about the seasons before. And let's talk about the harvest season. Let's take, let's take an example of wheat to make, make our point. Okay. Um, What's the first thing he's done with weed after it's cut? This probably wouldn't feel too good for a person. Cut. And then what did they do? Huh? So they, they stretch it first. You know how they do threshing? Now the reason I'm talking about this is because Gideon, Gideon is going to use this example. Matter of fact, I would have been wiser if I would have went to that first. And the idea of Gideon in this next uh, uh, verse is going to read, when came, you know, when God came to him, he was hiding, I mean, we already covered it, hiding on the threshing floor. Okay? Now, the threshing floor for a wine press was something a little bit lower that they could press things into. And it's not what you would normally do wheat. Uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't normally do that on there. You'd be on a threshing floor, you wouldn't be on a wine press. What the threshing floor does is they would take uh, a stone, usually a very big stone, and some, uh, 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 and for hours, they would crush it. Then after they would crush it until the wheat is broken out from the chaff or the straw, then they would get a whittling fork. And they'd take the whittling fork and they'd throw it up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away and, 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 the, and the grain would fall back to the ground. Now, this is an excellent example. It's, it's no accident that that's what he was doing there. What he was doing there wouldn't work well because after he ground it down, he's trying to widow it. 
There's no wind in a wide press. You need wind to do it. So he knew he was really scared. He was doing it where we should be doing it. He should have been up there where there's a little bit of wind. So he's doing it down because he's scared to death. But the process is very, very important. Because as this harvest time comes, this season that you're in, the time that we are in, there is a crushing coming. You saw it in Egypt, and they came out, you know, the pressure and stuff that came out, and it divided Israelites from the, uh, from, from the Jewish nation. And on the cross, there was a crushing. In this case, it was Jesus who was crushed. And that was a separation. Sin was dead. You know, and, and seed who dwells in us, who's brought forth. He comes from a crushing. The scripture says that if he gives to his firstborn, known as God's son, he'll do it to you too. So that means there's a crushing that goes on in your life. And this is part of the season. This is kind of like, this is all, why are you talking about stuff like this? If I don't talk about stuff like this, and you're going to think God isn't here. And that's why the world's going to fall. People are falling because they think when things are going bad, that, that God doesn't love them. And he does not form. And God has no power. No, he's allowing things for a purpose. He is crushing. It takes hours of crushing. Very long, hard process on the poor weak. But what's different is the stuff that's of us and our, our sinful nature and the stuff that, you know, gives just me, 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 me. He's blown away. And what's, what's, what's left is, is great wheat. Powerful, nutritious wheat. Have you ever talked to somebody who's really been crushed by God? Some have been crushed get bitter. They don't understand this process. The ones that understand that God loves them enough to bring them through this process become, they don't care about themselves anymore. It's not about them anymore. It's not about how cars or house or all the other stuff. It's about the kingdom of God. Because the other stuff's been removed and blown away. The crushing process is the process that God is doing in your life today. What's the thing you to do? In there can be great joy if you understand what he's doing. If you don't understand what he's doing, you can whine a lot. Blame the devil and miss the whole process. Try to get out of the process. You know what happens? You know, there's an old thing a long time ago going around the mountain. If you don't deal with the thing here when the process, you can try to bring it down to you later. Well, guys, it's no more later. It's time now to get through the stuff in your life and come out different. It's time for him to make you into who he's called you to be. It's time for you to become great, great city, great, great food, great, great, powerful. So, here in that place. Okay, let's go to, and it's kind of interesting, the widowing fork, the fork. Hmm. That's what his little symbol is. And then afterwards, that process after widowing takes place and the straw is separated. And what happens? Storehouse. Heaven. Okay? And that's where you're going. 16 through 24. Somebody read this for me. The angel told him, put the meat and the bread on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And the Lord's angel reached out and touched the meat and the bread at the end of the stick he was holding fire came out of the rock and burned up the meat and the bread. And the angel disappeared. Gideon then realized that it was the Lord's angel he had seen. And he said in terror, Sovereign Lord, I've seen your angel face to face. But the Lord told him, Peace. Don't be afraid. You will not die. 
Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it the Lord is Peace. It is still standing at Ophrah, which belongs to the clan of Eliezer. Sir, and you will not die. No, keep the target. I'm not going to read the other one. You just, you just got the job. Judges 15, 25 through 32. That night the Lord told Gideon, Take your father's bull and another bull seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, Amen. and cut down the symbol of the goddess Asherah, which is beside it. Build a well, constructed an altar to the Lord your God on top of the mound. Then take the second bull and burn it as an offering using the firewood, the symbol of Asherah you have cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did what the Lord had told him. He was too afraid of his family and the people in the town to do it by day, so he did it at night. The people in town got up early the next morning and found that the altar to Baal and the symbol of Asherah had been cut down. And the second one had been burned on the altar that had been cut there. They asked each other, who did this? They investigated and found out that Gideon's son of Joash had done it. Then they said to Joash, bring your son out here so we can kill him. He tore down the altar to Baal and cut down the symbol of Asherah beside it. And Joash said to all those that confronted him, are you arguing for Baal? Are you defending him? Anyone who argues for him will be killed before the morning. If Baal is God, let him defend himself. It's his altar that was torn down. From then on, Gideon was known as Jerebabel. Because Joash said, let Baal defend himself. It's his altar that was torn. Several things that really, really touched me. One is somebody else picked up someone else's offense. Whose altar was it? Yeah, whose altar was his father's? We have our father's, spiritual father's altars up there. By the way, we do have an altar to Baal in town. You guys know that, really? And we do. If you want to take a road down over here in Santa Monica, you go down in the ocean, in the Pacific Ocean, the Pacific Park right there, you'll see two large poles up there. They're rod poles. And you'll see set behind them two big altars. There are flat altars on there, flat altars. And that's exactly right. It's actually the thing to bail. That's the gates. That's where the Dalai Lama did his thing, right outside of He knows exactly where the gates are at. That's there. So you have an altar to bail in town. You want to get there again? How about it? There's other ways of defiling that altar, by the way, guys. But that's the second thing. What he did was he tore down the altar that was his father's. Okay? He was scared. He's a scared man. Watch as things go along and becomes more and more bold as God refines him and tests him and brings him forth. But then he built an altar to the Lord on top of it. And that's our job. Our job is to break the power of the enemy and establish the power of the kingdom. And that's where we get our, one of our templates for what we do. You know, now we do that. We are Western Gideon. We are Western Gideon. We are called to do what Gideon did. We're called to have that type of authority over the land. That's what we're called to do at this church. We are doing it. I've done that. I've dealt with that altar stuff right there. Going over there. And I deal with different ley lines as what you found. They're all really weird stuff. And you told me that two years ago. I was like, yeah, you're right. But there is power in that. 
God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. These spiritual principles do work, and we're called to do that. We're not called to do this and be afraid of it. You have to hear God and go do it. I wouldn't go do that without God telling me to do it because I'm going to do that from that backlash. But as God calls us to do, we go out and do those things. And we're called to tear down the things of the world. Now, the altars of Baal are altars that usher in to Santa Monica, Hollywood, and L.A. a spirit uh, uh, of Babylon in there. And I don't know if you really realize it, but a lot of things are named put after. And, and, and a guy named Alistair Crowley in the 1940s actually did a really, really big uh, type of thing, ceremony, to actually bring the God of Baal over here, the God of, uh, uh, the God of, um, um, I think right now, just said the No, no, the God of, uh, um, Babylon to this land. But that is an actual fact. He actually did that, and there's not other people who have done it. But you believe it or not, it doesn't change the fact that it was done. It doesn't change the fact that it's had an effect. If you haven't looked at Hollywood, then you don't realize the very spirits that are over that area are loosening up into sexual things, because that's what the biggest thing is. You know, the value of people, all that stuff dwells in this area, has for a long time. That's why it's so hard here. That's why there's nothing... Three percent of the people are in churches in Santa Monica because this land has been defiled, and we're jaw here. Should you decide to accept it? Is <laughs> bless this land where His presence can rest on it, and people can get saved. That's His purpose, the Savior. But when the land is defiled, and there's no blessing to come on it. So that's just a little side note. Okay, let's get to the next one because I can finish up here real quick. Just. Uh, 630 through here 40. Yeah, that's your done, huh? Yeah. Well, we all love the Lord of God. Melbourne Midianites, the Amalekites, and the desert tribes assembled, crossed the Jordan River, and camped in Jezreel Valley. The Spirit of the Lord took control of Gideon, and he blew a trumpet to call the men of the clan of Bezer to follow him. He sent messengers throughout the territory of both parts of Manasseh to call them to follow him. He sent messengers from the of Asher, Zedekiah, and they also came to join him. Gideon said to God, You say that you have decided to use me to rescue Israel. Well, I am putting some wool on the ground for the fresh, where we crush the wheat. In the morning, there is dew only on the wool, but not on the ground, and I will know that you are going to use me to rescue Israel. That's exactly what happened. Gideon got up early the next morning, squeezed the wool, and wrung enough dew out of it to fill a bowl with water. And Gideon said to God, Don't be angry with me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me make one more test with the wool. This time let the wool be dry and the ground be wet. That night God did that very thing. The next morning the wool was dry. The ground was wet with you. There's a couple things I want to draw your attention to. One, God confirms what he said multiple times. The larger the project you have to do, the more he will allow you to speak to you. If he speaks to you really, really loud on something, guess what? He does a little hard test coming ahead of you. That's a hard job. Whatever you want to call it. So the louder he speaks, the more he speaks, the more is required of you. That's what happened with her. 
He saw, gave him an answer. He showed him that. Gideon uh, uh, <laughs> Blue, this truck reminds me of automatic prophecy. And because again, if you never did that, you say something that God has you speak, and you can't speak it back fast, it's already gone. Oh, God, I'm so understand that. And he was anointed, and God called him to say it. What happened with him? He blew that horn. He didn't really want it. He wasn't really there yet. But God brought him there. God gave him anointing to move forward. You can expect that from God. Judges 7, 1 through 8, and we're almost finished up. What I want to draw your attention to is a couple things as, as we get here. Uh, all this people have gone. About to do it fast. One day Gideon and all of his men got up early and camped beside Herod's spring. The Midianite camp was in the valley of the north of them by moral hell. Lord said to Gideon, the men you have are too many for me to give them victory over the Midianites. They might think that they had won by themselves. And so give me no credit. And now to the people, anyone who is afraid, you should go back home and we will stay here at Mount Gilead. The 22,000 went back, but 10,000 stayed. And the Lord said to Gideon, you still have too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will separate them for you there. If I tell you, if I tell you a man should go with you, he will go. If I tell you a man should not go with you, he will not go. Gideon took the men down to the water, and the Lord told him, separate everyone who laughs at the water with his tongue like a dog. And everyone gets down on his knees to drink. There were 300 men who scooped up the water in their hands and locked it all. Locked it up. All the others got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites with 300 men who lapped the water. So everyone else can go home. So Gideon sent all the Israelites home except for 300 who kept all the supplies and trumpets. The Midian camp was below them in the valley. Okay, how would you like to do this group of people? Okay, you're there. It says later that there were, there were like locusts or so many of them. I mean, the, the enemy, the Midianites and, and the other tribes were with them, just covered the entire land. So, he says whoever's checking can go home. Whoever's not called. He wanted to make a point here. Two-thirds of the people can talk. That would be bad news to start off if you're that one-third left. Two-thirds are gone. The two-thirds are saying, I want to go home. I want to be with my wife and my kids tonight. I don't want to invest. I don't want to do it. Okay? And then God has, says to you, you still got too many. You might think that you had something to do with it. No. I want to make sure you understand because you know man's nature. You think if anything goes right, you have something to do with it. No. The point of it is, is a man on the least of the smallest tribe. And you see, we're a small group. And God chooses to use a small group when he wants to display his power. Now we are going to see Hollywood flipped over upside down. You watch. Mark my words. We're going to see that because of this principle. Not because of me and not because of you, but because of him. You see, we, I kept on gotten that thing. I remember when I went out to the subject with the Dalai Lama thing, and, and, and I was, didn't want to go because it, it was just me. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of people there, and he's a pretty powerful person. So look to me, you plus me are a majority. Actually, those words ring in my mind, in my heart right now. You plus him are majority. That's what he's about in the process of learning right there. 
Some of this down to 300. Some people wish this time on whether they laughed or this and why they did that. I really don't care. The point of that part is you wanted 300 people to go against thousands and thousands and thousands so you would know there was a big God and you could be small. He wants you to know that, because that's how he's going to do things. He doesn't want you a big, equal majority to do the fight. And you see, we worry about there's only a few of us Christians in Lookout County in our land. He doesn't need a whole bunch. I think he's putting us down right now. I think that's what he's doing. That's very, you know, you can't check with the churches there. That's not a lot of people around. Why? This is bad news. When we think about just like this, that one-third left and <laughs> oh man, that must have been scary. Oh yeah, you're our leader. You're going to see you. You see the one hiding in the press? You want the one that you take credit for tearing down the thing in the middle of the night, pulling down the astral pole? I'm going to follow you? I think that's what you would think. Wouldn't you? But, I want to make his point that he is God and we're not. And he doesn't need our numbers to accomplish his purposes. He needs what people will take. Yes. He's looking for people that are willing to. And the one third that stayed around, the 10,000 were still willing to. But God wanted to really make a point and make it extremely loud. Yeah, he doesn't need a large group to do it. He's having trouble making this point with me. I'm having trouble hearing this as well. But he doesn't need a lot. He needs people that are willing to do whatever he says. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for as a, as a few again. Only this one, there was even a lot fewer. Just a few people overturn a nation. So even this will be a bigger deal than that. So, this is the last, uh, not the last one. Chapter 7, 9 through 11. That night, the Lord commanded Gideon, Get up and attack the camp. I'm giving you victory over it. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purim. You'll hear what they're saying, and then you'll have the courage to attack. So Gideon and his servant, Purim, went down to the edge of the enemy's camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and the desert tribes were spread out in the valley like a swarm of locusts. And they had as many camels as there are grains of sand on the seashore. When Gideon arrived, he had heard a man telling a friend about a dream. He was saying, I dreamed that a loaf of barley bread rolled into our camp and hit a tent. The tent collapsed and lay flat on the ground. His friend replied, It's the sword of the Israelite Gideon, son of Joash. It can't mean anything else. God's given you victory over Midian and our whole army. I have two dreams. I don't think I would have got that out of there. Do you? This is the first point on the Indian Indianite curse. Okay? I heard it right. You were able to hear. And God said something. And they were able to react to that. Some of us have trouble hearing God because of that curse thing in our life. Because we try to own things. And I see it. And you can yell at the top of one of those people and they can't hear you. They can't hear what you're trying to tell them because of that thing. Because they try to own something that God's trying to give them. God's trying to give you something and you want to grab onto it. It's mine because you're giving it to me. And you can't hear anything with the process. So these guys were in the right place, you know. And uh, 
And he believed. Let's go to the next set, which would be uh, the last one. Judges 7, 6. I'm sorry, I'm running so late. I usually don't do this to you. And I get somebody else great coming next week to speak, and I have to be finished with this. So, Judges 7, 16 through 22. He divided his 300 men into three groups and gave each man a trumpet and a jar with a torch inside of it. He told them, when I get to the edge of the camp, watch me and do what I do. When my group and I blow our trumpets and you blow yours all around the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and his 100 men came to the edge of the camp and watched before midnight, just after the guard had been changed. And they blew the trumpets, broke the jars they were holding, and the other two groups did the same. They all held the torches in their left hands, the trumpets in their right, and shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and the whole enemy army ran away yelling. While Gideon's men were blowing their trumpets, the enemy's troops attacked each other with their swords. They ran towards Zarephan. As far as Bethshittah, as far as the town of Abel, Maholah, near heaven. Great with the words. I would never get them all right. If you have an army so large, it's like sands on the sea and locusts and other places. It's pretty large. And if you have to surround that whole large army, you can't are going to be pretty thin. How do you make 300 men sound that loud? There's the principle of the Midianite curse and the blessing on the other side. Curses have the blessing on the other side. They were able to hear things and they were able to hear what was spoken and believe that. They were able to speak with authority and their voices were amplified. It was powerful. It sent terror into these people. I mean, 300 and thousands and thousands and thousands. 300 set them on fire. And what did the enemies do? They killed each other. That's how God works. He says the currency of the kingdom of darkness is fear. And the currency of the kingdom of light is faith. So we can set, one man can set many people around because they operate out of fear. And their fear is not based on reality. It's not based on truth. It's faith that sets them Fight. So that's it. That's where I wanted to go with this thing. The Midianite curse, just as the finances are multiplied by people in the right place, are diminished by not. That's not the case of this Where his success was based upon going, doing what God exactly told him. You notice here, God told him to do this. You know, told him to be down there. It was, had God backing him all the way. So he's able to walk in faith. And uproots the enemy. And God gave them great favor and great blessing. If you don't have that, the voice doesn't have anything. The authority you have doesn't have anything. And, and things get taken away. And if you don't have this, you will hear what people say wrong all the time. And when you communicate to other people, they're going to hear you wrong. Because you're hanging on things too tight. And you aren't allowing God to own you, your things, and the promises he's given you. Father, I ask that you take this and just plow it in their hearts with everything, every breath that you take, that they would be totally changed by what your words say here. God, just impregnate us completely with this word, that we would know the truth, the truth that set us free. 
And we would be people of dominion, not of, and of faith, not of fear, and not ones that fall. If you say you're not, if you shrink back, you will be disappointed. You want those to go forward and move in faith. And you want us to go move forward and teach that we receive the things that we think we promised or not. You see, every one of those men, guys, every one of those men, as you heard, stood their ground. Every one of them. They didn't move the left or the right. They did exactly what they were called to do. They were great, mighty men of valor, as their leader was. They became what God called him. You know, when they called Gideon, he said, mighty man of valor, or I think his version says, great warrior, a brave man, man full of faith. That's what it says in there. The man hiding in the wine press. But you see, Gideon became what God promised. Gideon became, because he was allowed God's word, which doesn't have a curse on it, it has a blessing, that moved through him and changed him to make him what God called him to be. And he became a man of faith, a mighty, 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 mighty warrior. And so did his people that followed him. That's what God is doing with you. He's going to make me and you mighty men of valor. Amen. Bless you. Okay, those who want prayer, come out forward. We'll pray for you. For this or for anything that you would like.